You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, and welcome to The Compass, the podcast documenting the struggles of life as an artist. I'm Leah Walsh. Hi, everyone. So I'm recording this first thing in the morning, so I'm sorry if my voice sounds a little froggy. This is a bonus Thanksgiving week episode. It's coming out a little earlier in the week to give you something to listen to while you're traveling or if you need a break from family time over the weekend. I am thankful for all the other artists in my life. Thank you for all for listening and for sharing your stories and struggles with this community. It makes me feel stronger and it makes me feel inspired. And I know others feel the same way, so thank you. My guest today is David Hudson. David is a producer and a wonderful actor and singer. We went to college together at the University of Evansville and are very old friends at this point. He is also one of the three co-artistic directors of Three Day Hangover, a theater company that does classical plays in bars in a really innovative and interactive way. You've heard me mention them before um, in relation to other guests in the past. Right now, I'm really excited to be a part of their revival of Drunkalvania. David is heading up producing the show, and it came about extremely suddenly, so I'm excited for him to share his thoughts on seizing this opportunity, among many other things. Please check out drunkalvania.com for ticket info. It's so much fun, and we're playing through January 14th. And if you're in a show right now and want to catch it on your day off, I believe we have our only Monday night show right after the holiday weekend on November 28th. Happy Thanksgiving, and I hope you enjoy the 54th episode of The Compass. Well, so how do you try to keep from going to the dark side as an artist? Oh, man. And what is the dark side for you? dark side for me is um, it's the cynicism it's the you know getting wrapped up in um, the negatives that surround a lot of the difficulties and the challenges in this life that we've chosen you know I came up and came out of school as an actor and spent a lot of time auditioning and not getting cast and auditioning and getting cast in things that I didn't enjoy doing and you know, that's easy to grade on you and to kind of create um, stress and strife in your life. And I think in the last three years, uh, as we've started to kind of find our way with this theater company and by creating our own work and creating work that we're excited and passionate about, I've really found an outlet to channel that and overcome a lot of the like stress and the trouble that that comes along with like being in this world and there's still stress and trouble involved with producing and involved with um kind of the behind the scenes stuff and putting things together creating new work and creating an outlet for other artists to create new work um but there's also like an immense joy in that and it's something that i never even realized i had or liked uh, until we started doing it. And I realized um, kind of early on in this process and have just grown in this that I really enjoy empowering other people to succeed in something mm -hmm. and finding opportunities for people to uh, be their best artist and be their best self. Um, and I think that that's what we've done with 3 Day Hangover. We bring people together and we put a bunch of talent in one room and then we see what happens. Um, and we've done that with every show that we've worked on and we've done that with Drunk Shakespeare for the last three years and 
having just celebrated the thousandth performance of Drunk Shakespeare, which is just insane, <laughs> um, that, that it has survived and thrived over the last three years. Um, standing in a room with all of those people who have come through and who have shared their humor and their passion and their joy and talent with us and with the audiences in the city, um, that's what kind of keeps me going and keeps me going through the the hard times and through the times that are a little bit more challenging because it's just exciting and it's fun to sit sit in a room with a bunch of really talented people and, and see what happens. So you guys started the company, was it only three years ago? Three Day Hangover was four years ago. Four, years, four ago. years ago. Yeah, um, in March of uh, 2013 was the That's first right. production. We did the Hamlet Project um, in a tiny little bar in Brooklyn mm-hmm. called the Exley. Um, and the Hamlet Project was uh, a drinking game version of Hamlet that some friends of ours from grad school, uh, Jesse Sharp and Beth Lopes, created. And uh, we, Beth Gardner and, and Lori, um, Walter Hudson, my wife, and I, <laughs> um, you know, we had all come back from working on different things and we're looking for something to do. And um, this seemed like a natural fit. We had a friend who owned a bar space in, in Brooklyn and said, you know, why don't we do that there? Do we think we can sell 20 tickets a night? Cause that's about all we can get in there. And, and then the rest is history. Like it, <laughs> it took off and we had standing room, <clears throat> standing room those two nights. And, um, and yeah, it, uh, it just was very well received. And then we kind of, um, continued talking and and it has just grown steadily from there into what it is today um where we now are producing our our first uh, off-broadway production right now so i know which we will talk more about and that is the jungle vanya show that i've been you've heard me mention several times already and you'll continue to hear me mention um but in that first show that you guys did you did the hamlet project and you were starring as hamlet Mm -hmm. and you've been in a number of the shows since then you were in all the past uh, versions of Drunk Alvanya. How did it? How did your role in the company? Because Beth and Laurie are both directors, and so I feel like their paths were maybe a little more clear from the start. Even though you're all collaborating on the producing, um, how has it kind of come that you've gone from focusing mostly on being an actor to kind of heading up a lot of the producing side of it? Yeah, I think that uh, it mostly came out of. Um, necessity in the moment um, when we were working on the second iteration of Hamlet Project and R&J Starcross Deathmatch in the fall of that year um, we were approached by a, the producer of Drunk Shakespeare Scott Griffin who um, you know pitched us on this idea of Drunk Shakespeare and and you know asked us to get involved with that um, and the way that the timing worked out, Beth and Lori were both unavailable to direct that, so I kind of stepped into that role as the director and um, kind of lead organizer of Drunk Shakespeare from the get-go. And so I think through that I learned that I enjoyed that side of things a little bit more. Um, and, and then, you know, over the course of the two years of, of Drunk Shakespeare up to this point and the two years of, of Three Day Hangover, um, in my personal life, I just discovered that I didn't enjoy the rat race of acting as much. I didn't enjoy mm-hmm. getting up and going to auditions. I didn't enjoy putting together mailings and headshots and um, meetings with people who had control and power over me. Um, I much preferred finding my my own way and um, creating my own work, and that necessitated learning the producing side of it, learning how to deal with contracts, learning how to deal with um, all of the vendors and publicists and marketing people and venue owners. Um, Somewhere along the way, I decided to just see what that was like and got a job working in a commercial producing office um, called Just for Laughs Theatricals and and working on a bunch of of Broadway and off-Broadway West End touring productions. And... I was there for a year and that just like totally changed like my mindset. I, I, I realized that I enjoyed the business side of things. I really liked the, the numbers and the spreadsheets and um, I liked kind of 
seeing if you take a little bit out of the budget here and you add it there, what happens? If you know how how do we increase quality without sacrificing finance finances? Uh-huh. Um, and I feel like there's a not a dearth of of producers who are aware of the creative side of it, but there is a lack of people who care about the artistry in the in the same way that they care about the financial side of things. Um, and so I wanted to do that and continue to do that because I think that the the creative side is important. That's like the important side. I, I think that there there is a in the commercial theater world there is a um, there's the producer that wants to create something for financial gain, and then there's the producer that wants to create something for creative and artistic gain. And those two worlds are often um, very separate. And I feel like we have kind of found a place where we can bring those closer together and we can create opportunities for people to make money um, ourselves, our actors, our designers, um, our directors, our investors. and we can also put really good, exciting, new, boundary-pushing work out there. And um, for me, that has been so exciting that I just have uh, gotten deeper into that side of things and let some of the acting stuff go a little bit. Yeah, it, 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 you know, your passions change over time, I guess. And yeah. That's where my passions are right now, and it's kind of been like this really weird um, kismet situation where we've discovered this thing that works, and people enjoy it, and we've found success with it, and um, the fact that we also enjoy doing it is uh, is really cool. Yeah. So with the, all the, because I was going to ask about all the business stuff that you've been having to deal with, did you learn a big chunk of that when you had that job for a year? Or what sorts of resources were you using to teach yourself all of this business financial knowledge that you needed. Yeah, I mean, a lot of it was like hands-on practical experience. Mm-hmm. With that, that job, I kind of got thrown in at the deep end because it's a very small office and it was just like, you know, here, go and figure it out. And so it was a lot of like talking to people who had done it before or just like figuring it out on the fly. I mean, so much of it of producing and general managing, I feel like is, um, at least for me, pretending like you know what you're doing (laughs) Uh, because if you go into a meeting or you go into something with confidence like people just kind of they help guide you where you need to get you know get to Mm -hmm. um I also think that like we uh have a very solid background in just the theater as a whole like coming from the University of Evansville um I learned a lot about the management side of things there, even though I wasn't really directly involved with that, just like I learned a lot about technical theater and costumes and yeah. everything beyond um, acting that I was really focused on at the time. Um, so I feel like I can understand that and have conversations with people, and um, and that you know makes a huge difference. Um, but it was a lot of practical experience, a lot of like just observing uh, what my boss was doing at the time and what other people were doing at the time. Um, and in that short amount of time, I went from like being an executive assistant up to like being um, an exec, you know, an executive producer of the company, and actually taking the lead on a couple of um, projects that we were working on at the time, uh, which was insane and very exciting. Um, and I feel very proud about some of those projects that have come to fruition and, and have been you know on Broadway for the last couple of years or the last year and a half. Mm-hmm. Um, but then it's also, there's a ton of resources online to learn about this stuff. And any anytime somebody asks me about um, self-producing or, or um, finding a way to like create your own work, it's it's all about like Googling it. And <laughs> the Commercial Theater Institute is a great resource. They have okay. like a ton of um, classes that you can take. They also have a ton of free resources online. Um, there's a book that I read that's called Commercial Producing that or a guide to commercial producing that has a lot of information about contracts and about um, the various uh, vendors that you will come in contact with, general managers, publicists, marketing people, um, how to negotiate with venues, um, kind of what's standard. So all of that combined with then just like just doing it, um, that's the hardest 
part, I think, is that it's like scary to put yourself out there and take that risk. But at the end of the day, like, if you're a smart, capable person, um, you'll figure it out and you'll make mistakes along the way. We have made lots of mistakes along the way, um, but we're still here and we're still going and that's... Let's keep coming back to yeah, common sense. Exactly. Yeah. So Lori was on way back on episode nine of the podcast and it was right after you guys had your daughter in the middle of your three-day hangovers production of Dracula, <laughs> which I'm so glad I have this story on tape for Isabel to listen to someday. Um, but now she's over a year old, and how have, how have you guys been dealing with being parents and artists and the fact that you work together in this company? Oh, man. How's it been going? Teach me some lessons. Yeah. <laughs> that, it's one of those things, I get like a little emotional, actually, when I talk about it, because, of course, anytime I talk about my daughter, I get emotional. For some reason, that's what happens, I think, when you become a parent. <laughs> um, no, I mean, it's going amazingly like we are so lucky that we have maybe the coolest kid ever like she just is great and has been from day one mm -hmm. and um i would love to say that that's a testament to our parenting but it's not at all. <laughs> um, she just is an awesome kid and um and that's been a huge blessing for us yeah i mean everyone looks at us like we're insane when we say that we have a child and we work together um but I think that it's maybe like the one thing that really has kept us stronger than ever and has made us better parents and made us better in our relationship with one another. Um, because you, we spend so much time together, but we spend so much time together like working passionately on something that we care about. Um, it's not just like a waste of time or something that we're kind of doing just to make money. It's something that we're, we're really interested in and interested in pursuing. Um, and you know, oftentimes like the only time that we see each other is at rehearsal um, <laughs> and the only times that we can all like spend time together as a family is, is when we're in the room together or pre-rehearsal or post-rehearsal or on the weekend, you know, out shopping at Target for red solo cups for project <laughs> or something. But yeah, there's, it's insane sometimes and it's very hard. Luckily we have a huge support system of people who have been amazing to us um, and we have a very lucky situation where we get to uh, have a nanny share with our downstairs neighbors who are also artists and have um, a, a small son um, which is awesome because we have flexibility to be able to do what we want to do with it and um, and yeah it's it's incredible and we have a ton of people who just are there and able to help out and and be uh, a part of Isabel's life and uh, help us kind of continue you know, moving forward through it. Luckily, I'm also in a position with the company now to where I, I can work from home a lot of the time. I don't mm -hmm. have to, I don't have a survival job right now. This is it, um, which is great. And it allows me a lot of opportunity to work from home and to spend a lot of time with her um, and be flexible if something comes up, you know. And she can go with me most places still. Yeah. I don't think that's going to last much longer. She's starting <laughs> to get um, a little wild. Still around a little bit. But, uh, yeah, it all comes down to the fact that she's awesome. Ah. Well, since, since you're the one who's kind of full-time with the company right now, I know Lori and Beth both also have full-time day jobs. Do you ever find it difficult to stay self-motivated when you're spending... I know you're interacting with a lot of people and, and calls and emails and coordinating things, but we sp I'm assuming you spend a lot of time alone working. Is that ever a challenge? Yeah, absolutely. It's um, when there's not a project with a deadline, um, it becomes much more difficult um, to motivate, you know, motivate, motivate myself to get to work and to, you know, keep pushing forward on it. Um, we are working on on finding, locating, and opening our own space um, as three day hangover, and have been working on that since about April of this year, and putting together a, a business plan and putting together financials and meeting with consultants and, and um, real estate brokers and locating space and we're in now the final stages of, of the planning part of that and mm -hmm. are getting into the implementation of that if anyone is interested in investing you can <laughs> um, and uh, we but that you know that process because there wasn't a, a specific deadline was a little bit more challenging to kind of like get up and do 
um, when we have the deadline in place, it's much easier. All of a sudden, Drunkovania came out of nowhere, and um, through a lot of different people and meeting a lot of different people, um, and I've maybe worked harder in the last three weeks than I have in the entire year, just because it's been so. Great. It had to happen now right. if it was going to happen. It was November tenth, and that yeah. was the day that we were starting performances, and, and we had to have everybody in the room. Um, so that has been good to do that. It's also made me realize that deadlines are so important in in this work, um, whether you're producing or acting or directing or um, anything on your own, you have to create deadlines for yourself in order to, to do it, to get the work done. Um, the other really valuable thing is that I, I got a co-working space to get out of my apartment. Yeah. Um, and not only because it's a little noisy sometimes with, with the baby, but because when you surround yourself by other with other people who are working, it actually is incredibly helpful to kind of get that um, get that motivation going and, and that's stay been focused. Like, yeah, that's been a huge, huge help to like be able to go there and mm-hmm. have a cup of coffee and sit down and look around and see everybody else working. And you're like, oh, I should, I should get to work too because everyone else is working. Like, oh, <laughs> big things, and most of them are in tech and law firms and things. So this is serious. So tell me a little bit about plans for the space and how you're kind of tackling this much larger project than what you're normally doing. Yeah, we... And how do you ask for money? Because that's hard. Yeah, it is hard. Um, that's probably the hardest thing. Um, yeah, the space is is going to be very... The space is going to be really cool. We've, we've decided what we're, what we're aiming for. Our ideal space is um, actually two separate spaces, maybe a first floor and a second floor. And the first floor uh, will be a bar and restaurant full-time that will be operational regular hours. Um, and then the second floor space will be a flex performance space in the style of some of the stuff that we've done in the past um, in the bars that we've performed in the past where we have a separate functioning full bar um, and then a flexible open space that can be set up however we need to set it up. If we're doing Tartuffe, we can put chairs and tables out and put a bunch of patriotic stuff up. If we're doing r and we can clear the room and have it bare bones and do everything with flashlights and chairs. Um, We've, uh, we've hired a consultant who's working with us on the food and beverage side of things to really um, amp that up because that is, we've all had experience in the food and beverage industry, but not um, experience putting together a menu or right. um, you know making sure that we're thinking about things cost effectively on that side of it. Um, and they've been fantastic and we've put together already like a really solid plan with them uh, menu wise and um, you know our hope for the space is that it is this neighborhood hangout spot that you can come to whenever you want to come to it. Um, and there's always going to be something cool happening upstairs. Um, we'll have three tiers of programming. We'll have our primary programming, long running shows, something like Drunk Obania, something like RJ Star Cross Deathmatch. We'll have our secondary programming, things that are, um, you know, we'll have our dark, our Monday dark nights where we do something different each Monday, whether that's uh, an ongoing empower hour that we, did over the summer where we get people together and raise money for a cause and raise awareness and mm-hmm. um, allow people to uh, actually take actionable, to be act, you know, do actionable things, um, give somebody resources so that they know what's going on, uh, whether that's trivia, whether that's pub quiz, whether that's karaoke, um, that'll be happening. And then we'll have one-off events and we'll do concerts and we'll host um, other um, companies that are interested or need space. And that's the biggest thing in New York. <coughs> Sorry. It's okay. The, um, the biggest thing in New York is just space, like having the ability to have something at your disposal and like support people that you believe in is something that we're really interested in. Um, and that's what we want to keep doing. Maybe we'll host a live podcast. <laughs> Please do. Um, yeah, that's amazing to be able to not only do that for your own company, but to offer that to other artists. Yeah. We sat down with um, Jason Egan at Ars Nova, artistic director of Ars Nova, and kind of talked to him about this idea because that's such a huge part of what they do there. Yeah. Is they create space and commissions for other organizations and people like the Mad Ones. People, yeah. Um, and it really does feel like a community right. effort. And that's the big, you know, we, we have our, our tenants and things that we're interested in, in pursuing, but one of the biggest ones is is community and creating space and creating opportunity for our 
friends and family and people who have been supportive of us in the past and people who we want to continue to support. So the space is really designed to do that and be very flexible in it. Um, and the food and beverage side is designed to help financially support that. And yeah, it's gonna be cool. It's gonna be real cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, the money side of it, you know, it's just kind of a little bit about being shameless. Like you just have to put it out there. We've done a lot of work to put together like a really solid plan. Uh, we've done our research, we've done all of our homework on the financials, on the financial side of it. We've done all of our research on where we fit in the market, what's been successful for us in the past. And now with three years under our belt with multiple shows and multiple venues and all different um, iterations, we have a lot of tangible evidence as to why this will be successful um, because it's been successful in the past. Now it's just kind of about growing that out, expanding that out. And so I think we put together a really solid presentation for why that works. And then it's just about like finding those, those people and meeting them and telling everyone that we know, we have this idea, we have this idea. If now, you know anyone, exactly, tell us. Yeah. Exactly. Now it's so great because we have something that we're actually doing while we're doing it. Like uh -huh. there's Drunk of Anya going on. We can say, come see this. Yeah. Come see it in action. Um, and and hopefully people will do that. So can we talk a little bit about Drunk Ovanya and why it came out of the blue so quickly? Oh, Drunk Ovanya. Um, yes, it... I mean, we did actually, we did it two years ago yeah, for the first time, and then we, we did it for like two nights last January. Yeah. It's kind of, you know, it's been in our heads. It's there. Um, well, and the thing was, when we did it two years ago, we did it at the general on the Upper West Side, and it was, um, it was great. I mean, people... Like people loved it. This is this has been one of the like favorite three day hangover shows for a lot of people. Um, and it has a small cast, which is nice. Yeah. And um, we did it up at the Emlyn in January. We were supposed to do three nights, and we only got to do two because of Snowmageddon. Um, <laughs> but they, yeah. So it's kind of been around, um, and then through this weird series of events, actually, I was talking to our now producing partners on this, the guys who run Tolstoy's. Um, Darren and uh, Roman and Misha. Uh, I'd met Darren through a mutual friend and we were working on, or I was talking to him about investing in the space and getting involved with us in the space. And he said, you know, we're working on this space right now, so it's a little crazy. Maybe you come by and take a look at it and maybe you'll be interested in doing something. It's called Tolstoy's Lounge. And I was like, oh, Tolstoy. <laughs> so it's like Russian themed? And he was like, well, yeah, it's upstairs at the Russian samovar. and." You know, it's basically if it's everyone who inspired or was inspired by Tolstoy um, because he, in addition to writing War and Peace and many other things, um, was a, a for, at the forefront of like the passive resistance movement, which is something that I didn't realize. Hmm. Um, but he was like an inspiration for people like Martin Luther King and people like JFK and, of course, his contemporaries like Chekhov and Dostoevsky and... Um, even Gandhi, I think, at some point references huh. um, Tolstoy in some of his uh, writings, which is just crazy. So this space is dedicated to all of these people who have been inspired by or were or inspired uh, Tolstoy, and it has this amazing like Russian vibe to it. There are samovars all over the room, and it's like velvet chairs yeah, and couches, and it's like this dark kind of lovely little cozy space and I mentioned to him that we had a check off in our arsenal of shows that we'd done and, and we just started talking about it and he was like oh my god this sounds amazing we should you know just come to the space and look at it and see if it could work so I went and met him at the space and, and we just started talking about it and I kind of pitched the um, pitched the show to him uh, and he said let's do it <laughs> and I was like what? We don't have to talk again. Nope, let's do it. And I was like, okay. So we got to work, and luckily, I mean, the best part of the whole thing was that um, because of all of the work on on our own space, I had everything readily at my disposal. I had all of the budgets. I had all of the uh, needs, everything in place. Because Drunk Vanya was one of the shows that we were talking about doing it at the new space. Mm. So it happened very quickly, but I was able to kind of like present everything to the other investors, and like we came up with a plan and. Uh, that was three weeks ago. <laughs> and, you know, the nice thing with it is that we 
because they have this space and because we have a lot of flexibility with it, the, the upfront cost for us wasn't prohibitive. It was, we were able to make this work and we were able to partner with them and they weren't looking for tenants. They wanted a partnership. They wanted something long-term. Um, and it's awesome when you find people like that who are interested in your success beyond the immediate. Um, they, they have, you know, we have bigger plans for how we're going to continue this relationship with them. And, um, and this is like a great first step for us. Um, and so, yeah, we're, you know, running through the, the end of the year now and hopefully beyond fingers crossed, fingers crossed. Um, but it's, it's going incredibly well already. And, you know, it's only, only, uh, only good things to come, hopefully. <laughs> And so, um, like I mentioned before, you had played Astrov in the show up until this run. I mean, it happened so quickly, um, and there was so much producing stuff to do on it. You had to set up the ticketing, you had to do the publicity, you had to work out everything with the restaurant and everything. So you decided to not be in the cast. Yes. Tell me about that. <laughs> um, well, first off, we... the. The guy who has replaced me, Chris Toko, is amazing. and He's um, wonderful. Yeah, has been just fantastic coming in and, like, um, joining the rest of the cast who had already existed and uh, fitting in and bringing all new things and, um, you know, creating this really wonderful and tragic and heart-wrenching astronaut that he's created. And um, so it's been a real joy Yeah, in, like, two that. weeks. Yeah, <laughs> literally ten days of rehearsal and now three, two shows. Um, and I, I can't wait for, for him to just continue to find out what this style is like because it's, it's, um, you can tell he's, he's got it and he's going to do great things with it. Um, but it was, it was a little difficult cause I love all of the people in the cast so much and I, uh, enjoy doing the show a lot. Um, it just, you know, physically was not possible to do all of the things that needed to get done, um, in addition to producing and general managing uh, everything, uh, you know, having a life and a child and yeah. all of those things were, um, imp are important and um, I need to be able to do that and not have so much on my plate. And, and just a lot of other stuff too. We have some big things happening with Drunk Shakespeare right now and a lot of stuff that's unknown and up in the air and um, I didn't want to put the cast or put us in a position where you'd have to replace me down the line if something happened or changed, um, you know, a month or, yeah. you know, two months into this if we extend. Um, <clears throat> well, and since you were already focusing on the finding the space thing too, yeah. and this came out of nowhere, you don't want to like take your energies away from that. Yeah. So it's a, it's a, a bit, it's difficult because I, in the now week that I've been watching the show again, um, you know, I want to be on stage. Right. <laughs> because I remember how fun it is and I remember like what a joy it is to be on stage with, with all of you guys um, and how, how much fun it is to play with the audience and, and everything, all the good things that go with the Three Day Hangover show. Mm -hmm. um, but it's also a good thing to, you know, take a step back and focus on the bigger picture and, um, and you know, luckily I've been able to pass that into... Chris's capable hands and uh, yeah. excited to see where it goes. Well, hopefully if it keeps running and Chris needs a vacation, then we have an Astrov already. That's what I was kind of, <laughs> I've never wished so, so much for a, uh, an actor to book other work. Maybe it'll be unavailable <laughs> and I don't have to like, sneak in and do, uh, yeah, and do an encore. Yeah. <laughs> and then just quickly to touch on this, this is the first time you, you guys, <clears throat> excuse me, this is the first time you guys have done an equity contract. Everything else has been equity showcase, right? Yeah. Or with Drunk Shakespeare and Nanak. Mm -hmm. So what has that been like to set up? And it's kind of, you know, it's an achievement that you guys have gone from one stage to the next, you know, slowly growing. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, I mean, it's something that I think that all three of us are incredibly proud of. And the fact that two people on this uh, production are actually getting their equity cards because of the show um, is such a cool thing you know it's a, a bit of a challenge working with uh actors equity sometimes because there's a lot of rules in place and they're there for a reason um but it makes it hard for independent producers to to you know get the stuff in place to make it happen there's 
a lot of upfront expense that you have to cover and so you just kind of have to be in a position to be able to handle that and there's not a lot of room for like flexibility or negotiating when you don't really have any bargaining power mm-hmm. um, it's very interesting because with everything that's going on with off-broadway right now uh, we're on an off-broadway contract and we kind of negotiate our own agreement with them that's separate from um, the current minimums and whatever they yeah. come to terms. Well, well, we're only doing three shows a week, so it's a little different. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's it's a good. I mean, I think it's a great thing. Like it's an, it's what we've always wanted to do is to is to work um, on a union contract so that we can provide pension and health and proper wages to our actors. And um, luckily, we're in a position to where we can support that right now and, and hopefully we'll be able to do that for a long time yeah yeah i love the union <laughs> we all do well and also the great thing is that with the equity showcase you only get to do like two and a half weeks worth of shows yeah. so now there if there is opportunity to go longer we can yeah that's just great a, yeah definitely a good thing and, and the you know there's, there's a lot of prohibitions in the showcase code and it's not a perfect thing it's great for getting to do stuff when you're first starting out um but when you want to you know play with ticket pricing and you want to play with length of run and you want to like do those things that actually you know make it functional and possible to have a long-running show and hopefully um you know have everybody everybody get supported you have to move on to a bigger contract and it's frightening sometimes but it also um is really exciting as long as you can pay the bills. <laughs> so this is kind of a two-part question, but you're from Texas. And I <laughs> and I kind of know the answer to this question, but I wanted to know about like how your family has dealt with you being an artist. And then also like what your feelings are about staying in New York right now. I mean obviously you're looking for a space here, so I assume you're feeling pretty positive about it, but yeah. those are the two things. Um, my family is incredibly supportive and has been from the very beginning. Sometimes I tell them they were too supportive and then they should have forced me into business or engineering <laughs> or something. Um, but, you know, from the very early age when I caught the theater bug playing the Scarecrow in The Wizard of Oz in eighth grade, um, <laughs> they have been, you know, super supportive of it and all through college and grad school and moving here and and everything they they have been you know on board 100 percent um and are often in the audience for pretty much i I mean i think that they've seen everything that i've been as an actor except maybe one show um and they certainly have seen every three-day hangover show they love coming up and and being a part of that they we with the thousandth show from drunk shakespeare they were here for the very first show of drunk shakespeare and they were here for the thousandth show of drunk shakespeare and (laughs) hopefully we'll be here for the five thousandth show of drunk shakespeare um but yeah, they're, you know, they're great. They just are good people and have always been really on board with uh, with all of the ideas that we've had. And, you know, my dad comes from a business background, so he's been an awesome resource to okay. utilize throughout this experience and send him my pitch deck and send him my financials and say, what do you think about this? What, what would you say if you were talking to someone in the business world that didn't understand theater very well? Um, and he's been really helpful because he kind of gets both worlds yeah but you're kind of you're kind of the lone wolf in the arts right yes uh my brother my brother was an excellent stage manager in high school um and then he um, got away from that and you know has been saving people's lives for the last 10 years um as a a firefighter a police officer and a marine he's done all three um so he's just kind of ticking his way through um all of those things but he's the same way. Like he, he's also in, incredibly supportive and has been. You know, he comes to things whenever he can come to them, and and um, is just around and wants to, you know, hang out. Now they come up because they want to see the kid, um, <laughs> but they they also enjoy seeing the shows and being part of that. Um, and then you know, Texas. I miss Texas sometimes because of the comfort of it, because of the ease of life. Um, you know, it's having a house and a yard and a front yard and a backyard and space and a mm-hmm. car and all of that 
there's something appealing about that, especially when you have a young family and, and are looking for those comforts. But there's something about New York that's like, it's just a, I don't know, it's a place. And it's a place that I want to be in and Lori wants to be in. And um, I think if anything, like the events of the last week have shown that there is a pretty big divide between like the liberal bastion of New York and New York City specifically and other parts of the world and uh, or other parts of the country, um, Texas being one of them. Um, and there's something about just being here and kind of like in the midst of it and, and s surrounded by people who are like-minded, which is catch-22, um, but being able to be surrounded by people and, and have the conversations and figure out things to do um, with one another and always know that there's going to be somebody there who's going to be supportive and helpful of that. And when we put together the Empower Hour in July, it was amazing how quickly we were able to just assemble uh, an amazing group of people in like four days, it seemed like, just to come together and create a space and a, a platform for people to get up and be heard um, and a, a space for us to do some research and find out what are the tangible things that we can actually do right now, mm -hmm. what are the places that we can donate to, what are the things that we can um, do that are going to make the situation better. Um, and I think that I'm sure that that happens in other places, um, but I don't know if it happens as well or as quickly as it does here. There's something really exciting about that. Yeah. Um, and yeah, finding a space and that's a, we're looking to make kind of a long yeah. commitment to that. So yeah, we'll be here for a minute at least. Is there anything from the last year that you're really proud of? you want to tell me about like a lesson you've learned or anything hmm. I think that it's probably a couple of things like I think that I have that personally I've been a little bit more involved in the like actual taking actual steps to do things for people yeah, organizing the Empower Hour I think for all three of us it was a, definitely a high point there was just so much going on in the world at the time and there still is obviously but there was something amazing about being able to get together in a room with people and like laugh and cry and like hear stories and um, sometimes I feel like we as artists uh, feel a little bit like what do I do what does it matter who cares we're just and especially, like, I especially feel like that sometimes because I do drunk theater in bars. And, <laughs> um, you know. Yeah, how do you, how do you make a difference? Yeah, and what do people care? And I realized more than ever, I realized it then, and I realize it now, uh, in the last week, like, what we do is so important because it allows people to escape if they need to escape, feel empowered if they need to feel empowered, dive deep into it if they need to dive deep into it um i mean the words that sonia speaks at the end of anya last week on wednesday night um after the election they struck me in a way that i had never heard them before and you know sat in the middle of tolstoy's lounge like weeping because there is something amazing about that and about this idea that like it's we're going to rest eventually, but for now we got to get to work and we have to do the things and we have to have optimism and hope and all of the things like just because there's crazy shit happening in the world. Um, I don't know if I can say that. Go for it. Yeah. Um, just because there's crazy shit happening in the world doesn't mean that we have to allow that to affect our outlook on it or what we're trying to do to continue to bring positivity and light and hope and positive and, and happiness into, into it. Um, and I don't think that I would have said that two years ago. Um, I think that I probably was very like cynical or, or whatever, like gave into the New York feeling a little bit more. Mm -hmm. um, but since having a kid and since all of the stuff of the last year and like seeing, being affected by things more personally um, than I ever have, I mean like as a straight cisgender white male, 
I am very privileged in this country, obviously, and um, have not felt fear or, or you know, despair or anything like that um, very often in my life because that's just not what happens to people that fit those descriptors. Um, but this past year, I feel like I've felt it much more tangibly, whether that's because of um, you know, my brother's a police officer in Baton Rouge and was a police officer when there was all of the shootings that happened down there, not only with Alton Sterling, but with the police officers and sheriff's deputies that were killed um, in the weeks following. Um, and I felt that fear for the first time. And I said this at the Empower Hour that it, I realized after all of that, that there are people who wake up feeling like that every single day. And how insane is that? How, that's not a way to live your life. Um, and it's unfortunate that we live in a world that, that, has, that supports that. And so I think that that's probably what I'm most proud of this year is that we have taken tangible steps and, and done things that have, I don't know if they've made a difference or not, but they are. It's a, yeah, it's at least it's the beginning. Yeah, it's a step yeah. in the right direction for, for it. And it's taking more personal responsibility for my privilege and taking more personal responsibility for what's going on around us and, and making an effort, a concerted effort to make things better however that is, whether it's donating money, whether it's donating space and time, whether it's just listening to someone on the street, uh, whether it's going, um, you know, going places and, and helping out, going out, my brother's house was messed up in a flood a few weeks after all of that happened and going down and helping him and his neighbors clear their houses out and get everything, you know, try to get people back on their feet. Um, there's a, it's very important and I realized that this year more than probably ever in my life that it's important to get involved and it's important to to take action and not just post about it on Facebook because um, that's so easy to do um, and it makes us feel like we're doing something when when really we're we're not and so trying to hold myself more accountable for that and be more active so just two more quick questions and then you are free to go <laughs> um so if you are having a day where you're feeling like you're on the dark side and you're uninspired and you're unmotivated, are there any tangible things that you turn to again and again to kind of get you out of the funk? I've watched The West Wing like nine times, I think. I watch it every time I edit the podcast, guys. <laughs> it's on in the background. <laughs> because I watch it so much, but there's something about that show that obviously exudes like hope and even in the... Um, bleakest of times there's there's a light at the end of the tunnel mm -hmm. i've gotten really into podcasts lately actually just listening to lots of different podcasts and of course for the last few uh, months it's been all political podcasts yeah. which is a good thing and a bad thing um but the the nice part of that is that it inspires me to like do something to make phone calls to give money to post about something on Facebook right. or share or just be informed yeah, just like be aware of what it is have a conversation with a uh, Trump supporting relative if luckily I don't have very many of those um, but yeah that, that's been really helpful and then you know I think that just going to the playground and like letting it all go and spending an hour untethered with Isabel you know swinging and running around um, and just remembering that like she has no knowledge of any of the terrible terrible things that have happened or are happening um and there's such a hope and optimism in her yeah um there's something really cool about that and like getting to kind of take take three minutes to lose yourself in that um and and not feel overwhelmed yeah and then do you have anything that you've seen lately that you want to recommend it just closed, so that's not really helpful. But the show that at the Bushwick Star of the Madelines just did was really amazing. Yeah. Um, that, I mean, just the performances were like incredible. No, that was um, wonderful. Yeah. Um, what else have I seen lately? Honestly, the only shows that I've seen are Drunkle Bunny. <laughs> <I've never laughs> everyone come see that uh, because it's. Uh, it's inspiring and it's heartbreaking and it's hilarious and and um, it has completely like enraptured my life for the last month um, and I think that it, it's an incredible show and I want everybody to come see it. Um, yeah, do it. 
<laughs> well, and I, I just wanted to throw in a recommendation because I got to go to the opening night of Natasha Pierre and the Great Comet of 1812 on Monday, and it was awesome. And Nick Choksi, who is our dear friend and has been on the podcast, is making his Broadway debut in it. And it's just a, the entire play and the score and everything is just genius. So, so go check it out. I'm so excited to see it because it, it is like a testament to a show growing over time and like finding its mm-hmm. way eventually there. But it's also a testament to like the fact that you could have different types of storytelling on Broadway. It doesn't have to be the same thing over and over again. And they really, I yeah. haven't seen it yet, but apparently have transformed the space and the way that they tell the story. Um, if it's anything like it was when I saw it in Ars Nova a couple years ago, it's it's just a, uh, an amazing, inventive way to, you know, convey the story. And, and it makes me hopeful that there's a future for this new... Well, and that it's, it's totally innovative, yeah. um, like Hamilton, and not, you know, there's a certain brand of Broadway show where they're like, well, this worked as a movie, so that, or this worked as a, this person's popular, so let's make a jukebox musical about that. And sometimes they're great, and sometimes they're just there to make money. Um, so I'm very happy to see new new things on Broadway. Yes, that's that. Thank you, David. Yay. Thank you for listening to the Compass Podcast. I'm Leah Walsh. More episodes are coming soon. Please look for us on Facebook and iTunes. I'd like to thank the following people for their generosity. The Compass cover art is by Kim Miller. Music by Brendan Spieth. Audio assistance from Nick Choksi and a special thanks to Frankie J. Alvarez. See you next time. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.